The following is a CJBT Productions podcast. This is the Music History Today Highlights Podcast number four. This week, we discussed putting OutKast into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We put Cosmo Murphy into the EDM Hall of Fame. And we did the Top Dance Songs and Concert and Music Venues podcast. This podcast gives you the highlights from all of the podcasts on this network that came out this past week. Let's start with the Music History Today, the weekly edition, which drops every Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. On that podcast, we usually go over the music news of the week, do some album reviews, talk about who should be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and go over the music charts for the week. This week, we started only doing the news, charts, and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame segments on the free version of this podcast, which you can find wherever you're listening to this particular podcast on right now. And here is a clip from that podcast. This week, we're going to look at the case for putting OutKast into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. First, let's get past the whole rap doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame crap. Rap does belong, so let's move on from it. When you talk about Southern hip-hop, you can't just talk about it without talking about OutKast. They're the ones who put the Southern sound on the hip-hop map. What they did, which went beyond what even other Southern hip-hop artists did, was that they experimented with different sounds like R&B, funk, rock, jazz, and even a little EDM. In fact, they were one of the first hip-hop acts to embrace EDM and rave culture in their music. Their albums were always different and original. They haven't recorded together since the 2006 album Idlewind, and their heyday was between 1994 to 2003, but their influence on Southern hip-hop is immeasurable. They broke down the door for other Southern acts to follow. Now, if you want to get your feet wet, go with Big Boy and Dre Presents Outcast. If you want a deep dive, then go with their Grammy Award-winning album Speaker Box, The Love Below, also Aquamini, and Stankophilia. As to whether OutKast belongs in a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the answer is absolutely yes. Two of their albums are on Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. You would think that alone should get them in. You would also think being the standard bearer for Southern hip-hop would get them in. Yet, they probably won't get in without winning a fan vote. The reason? Same reason as the first sentence I stated. It's hip-hop. 
the Hall members don't put that many acts in, even the ones who should obviously get in. And for that reason, without the fan vote, I'm not so sure that they're going to get in in the next few years. Although they absolutely, positively deserve to be in. The full versions of the podcast with the topic segment, the EDM Hall segment, and reviews to go along with our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame news and chart segments can be found on my Patreon and OnlyFans pages. We'll discuss those later in this podcast. Last week's topic, by the way, was the History of the Record of the Year Grammy. Tuesday's podcasts are always the EDM podcast, where we go over the EDM news and charts and induct someone into our EDM Hall of Fame. It also drops at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Tuesday. This past week on the free version that you can find here on whichever podcasting thing you're listening to on the, at the moment, we inducted Faithless into our EDM Hall of Fame, and here is that segment. In the dawn of EDM, it was mainly the domain of American minorities and the LGBTQ community as they found refuge in the scene following the backlash from disco. And then the music jumped the ocean and became the domain of straight white European men with a slew of those stereotypical Danny D, the douchey DJ types that you see every now and then. Actually, a lot of the times roaming the EDM landscape. And while there has been some really good EDM that has been put out over the last couple of decades, safe to say we have gone through a period in the last decade and even up until this year where once EDM started to take over the globe, everybody suddenly thought that they were DJs and producers who could cut and paste their way to fame and fortune and act like a bunch of morons doing it. Along with that has come the sudden realization in the mainstream media that female DJs actually do exist. Well, who'd have thought that? Part of the new emphasis, I'm sure, is the media not wanting to look like a bunch of male chauvinists in the hashtag MeToo movement era. Uh, here's a little hint for you. They are a bunch of male chauvinists. Let's get real. Some magazines have even called female DJs, quote, a new trend, end quote. Well, with as much lack of respect as I can give to those magazines and also a lot of those websites, not thinking of anybody in particular, but a lot of you, female DJs have actually been around for decades. It's just that no one like you guys had ever noticed, or much like you guys, had ever paid them any respect, which you should. Well, when I first started my Hall of Fame, I decided that the female DJs and producers were going to get their proper due respect, finally. And that is why I have inducted DJ Rap, Miss Kitten, DJ Paulette, Annie Mack and Sandra Collins already into the hall, and that's just for starters. Over the past year, I've put in more than a few more. A few you've probably recognized if you've been following the genre for any length of time and consider yourself a real fan as opposed to a bandwagon fan who only knows about EDM because, well, Avicii was cool. Mm-hmm. 
It's been around a lot longer than Avicii had started, people, please. The vast majority, though, you've probably never heard of before and have left you scratching your head as to why they're going in. I assure you, though, that they all deserve to get in because of their overall influence, both on EDM in general and on female DJs in particular, because if it wasn't for these women breaking down those invisible doors and ceilings, then female DJs like Alice in Wonderland, Whipped Cream, and Rez, and Nervo wouldn't be enjoying the success that they're enjoying today. You can include Charlotte DeWitt in that. Also, Nina Kravitz. Plus, I'm here to also educate you about the history of EDM, so you're not, of course, going to hear about all of the honorees, or at least know about them. You should, hopefully, though, go out and find out more about these people, and above all, support them by getting their music, listening to their live streams, etc., etc. Now, with that in mind, allow me to introduce some of you, the Avicii crowd, to Massachusetts-born but London-living DJ, producer, radio host, Colleen Cosmo Murphy. Colleen started working in radio when she was 14. She still hosts radio shows on Worldwide FM and Public Radio International, along with working on BBC Radio 4 and 6. She started out as a DJ under the wing of the great David Mancuso, working his New York City loft parties. She still does loft parties, at least back in the days when there was such a thing as loft parties. That would be 2020 early in the year, for those of you who don't remember what that was like. Except now that those loft parties, well, when those loft parties come back, they are normally held not in New York, but in London. She is also a remixer, having remixed for Horace Andy, Shaka Khan, Beardy Man, and Royce and Murphy, among many others. She was nominated in 2019 for DJ Mag North America's Hall of Fame, and she absolutely makes my Hall of Fame. Colleen Cosmo Murphy, inducted into our EDM Hall of Fame. The full version of the podcast with the topic segment, the Thump Magazine Greatest EDM Songs of All Time segment, and reviews to go along with our EDM Hall of Fame, the news and chart segments can be found on my Patreon and OnlyFans pages. This week on the full version, our topic was the history of the Best Mixed Recording Grammy. Then, every day we do a short podcast called Music History Today, where we go over the music events that happened that day in music history, along with some of the birthdays of musical artists. This past week's birthdays included Skrillex and Pitbull on January 15th, FKA Twigs and Lin-Manuel Miranda on January 16th, Calvin Harris on January 17th, Jonathan Davis of Korn on January 18th, Janis Joplin and Mac Miller on January 19th, Questlove on January 20th, and Rick Ross on January 21st. Now, to the paid podcasts. I've also started a Patreon page where I have a couple of tiers at the moment. Uh, 
Tier 1 gives you all of these podcasts, the free ones, that is, along with the full versions of the Music History Today weekly edition podcast and the EDM podcast, along with a minimum of four extra podcasts per month. Those podcasts on that tier will be the Top Albums Podcast, the Top Singles Podcast, the Top Dance Songs Podcast, and the Music Hall's Fame Podcast, with each of those podcasts dropping one episode per month. That tier will cost $5 per month. There may also be another podcast added for that tier, depending on the month, but those four podcasts are guaranteed each month for Tier 1. Here is a little taste of one of the podcasts that you'll get in that tier this month. The group Bizarre Inc. was formed in 1989 in Stafford, England by DJs Dean Meredith and Mark Archer. In 1990, Archer left, so Meredith brought in DJs Andrew Meacham and Carl Turner. Meacham and Meredith hit it off and decided to start a side project called Chicken Lips in 1999. They founded the record label Lip Service and added Bear Funk Records owner and DJ Steve Cody to Chicken Lips itself. Chicken Lips put out at least 10 albums. It's as remixers where they've really made their mark. They've done work for the likes of Morchiba, Riptide, Utah Saints, Stereo MCs, Street Corner Symphony, Ignition, Robbie Williams, Mark Ronson, Underworld, Landshark, Nick Holder, and tons more. They even did a remix for the late great composer Ennio Morricone. In 2001, Chicken Lips released the song He Not In. The EP for it had the original song plus the Vandalism vocal remix and the Vandalism club remix. The original single had as its B-side the song Wind Your Neck In. He Not In was written and produced by Meacham and Meredith and is in the left field house genre. Chicken Lips 2001 song He Not In. The 100th best dance song of the first decade of the new millennium's the 2000s. For Tier 2 on Patreon, you will get all of the free podcasts along with all of the paid podcasts on Tier 1, along with a minimum of at least five additional podcasts per month. That tier is $10 per month. The additional podcasts on that tier are the Top Dance Songs by Decade podcast, the Award Show History podcast, the Music and Concert Venues podcast, and the Music's WTF Moments podcast. Those podcasts each have one episode dropping each month. The Music History In-Depth podcast will also be in the tier and will be a weekly podcast. Still, there may be another podcast added for that tier as well. And much like Tier 1, it all depends on the month, but those five podcasts are guaranteed each month for Tier 2 only. Here is part from one of the podcasts that you'll get in Tier 2 this month, followed by part of the Music History In-Depth podcast, which dropped this past week. This podcast is a celebration of concert venues. You know, those places you used to go to before the dark times. The clubs, the theaters, the stadiums. 
Each week, we'll pick a venue, give you some of its history, and pick out one or two things that happened there or people who played there. Let's start off in New York City, specifically at 253 West 125th Street, on the north side of the street between Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard and Frederick Douglass Boulevard, the Apollo Theater. The Apollo Theater was built in the neoclassical revival architecture style by George Keister. Keister also designed the First Baptist Church in New York City as well. Construction for the 1,506 capacity theater started in 1913 and finished in 1914. There are a couple of things about the Apollo Theater that most people don't realize. The first is that while it is now known worldwide as the mecca for African American entertainment, it actually started out as a whites-only theater completely segregated. Also, its first name was not the Apollo Theater. It was named the Hertig and Siemens New Burlesque Theater when it first opened in 1914, named after original operators and producers Jules Hertig and Harry Seaman. The duo took out a 30-year lease on the property from Sidney Cohen, although they didn't actually last that long. They lasted until 1928 when risque burlesque operator Billy Minsky took over the building. Billy unfortunately didn't do a lot of upkeep to the theater. Plus, during Billy's tenure, soon-to-be governor, or mayor I should say, Fiorella LaGuardia started a campaign to shut down burlesque shows, which he deemed immoral. So, In the early 1930s, the theater was shut down. A new era dawned for the theater, though, when owner Sidney Cohen decided to reopen the theater and control it for himself. Under Sidney's tenure, things changed. First, Sidney completely renovated the theater. Second, he changed the name of the theater to the Apollo Theater. And third, and most importantly, he changed the attendance policy from whites only to catering to black audiences since the Harlem Renaissance had made Harlem into a predominantly African-American neighborhood by then. On January 26, 1934, the newly named Apollo Theater with new manager Morris Sussman reopened. The show that first night was Jazz a la Carte with Benny Carter and his orchestra, Ralph Cooper and Aida Ward. Within a month, they had a major star of the day performing as Broadway star and singer Adelaide Hall did a limited run of the show Chocolate Soldiers. A major problem at the time was that there was a lot of competition in the immediate area, with clubs like the Lafayette, which was run by Frank Schiffman, and the Harlem Opera House, which was run by Leo Brecher. Cohen was going to get talent booker John Hammond to help bring in big names like the other clubs were getting, but unfortunately, Sidney Cohen passed away before that deal could go through. Eventually, the theater merged with the Harlem Opera House and were then run by both Brecher 
and Schiffman, who had both bought the Apollo. The Opera House ended up becoming a movie theater as movies were becoming very popular and profitable by that point. And the Apollo became their main theater, which shows that started off as mainly vaudeville shows with a line of now famous chorus girls. There was even a documentary on the chorus line released in 2005 called Been Rich All My Life. The Apollo earned its reputation through two things. The first was by holding an amateur night, which we'll talk about later. The second was by the big-named acts who either played there or got their start there. It started in the swing era, when Count Basie, Duke Ellington, and many other jazz bands played there. They also had later jazz acts like Dizzy Gillespie and Anita O'Day. It wasn't just jazz music that the Apollo became famous for, though. There were gospel acts like Mahalia Jackson, Sister Rosetta Tharp, Clara Ward, and Sam Cooke when he was with the gospel group The Soul Stirrers. As the decades went on, the Apollo also brought in R&B and soul acts like Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, Ray Charles, Gladys Knight, The Jackson Five, James Brown, Wilson Pickett, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Benny King, Sarah Vaughn, and many, many, many more. They also showcased dancers like the Nicholas Brothers, the Barry Brothers, and Bill Robinson. The Apollo also had comedians Bill Cosby, Red Fox, LaWanda Page, Richard Pryor, and more. And they also reach back to their original volume. Remember, you get a minimum of 42 podcasts on Tier 1 and 50 podcasts on Tier 2. Plus, I may add another tier or two down the road. Not quite sure as of yet, but probably will. I also have an OnlyFans page that is $10 per month that has all of the offerings that you will find in the Tier 2 package on Patreon for those of you who don't like dealing with Patreon. If you like what I do and the value that it brings and you want more, then please, please, please consider supporting my pages. And that is it for this week's edition of the Music History Today Highlights Podcast. Thanks for listening. For more music podcasts, check us out on all of your favorite podcast providers, such as Apple Music, Google Podcasts, CastBox, etc., etc., and also on OnlyFans and Patreon, all under Music History Today. Thanks for listening. Audio engineering and editing, video editing, writing, narration, catering, basically everything is done by yours truly. You can find us on our website at cjbtproductions.com. Our podcast is on all of your favorite podcast providers, such as Apple Music, Google Podcasts, CastBox, etc., etc. Look for them all under Music History Today when you search for us there. If you would like to support this podcast, our paid OnlyFans can be found at OnlyFans.com backslash Music History Today. And our Patreon can be found at patreon.com backslash music history today. We are also on Twitter at music history day. 
And you can find us on YouTube and Spotify. Just search for us under Music History Today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>